0: Welcome to the NextGen Cast. This is a podcast from Next Generation GP, a national leadership programme. NextGen was set up to energise, engage and empower GPs right at the start of their careers to consider leadership roles by sharing stories of people who've done this before. And that's exactly what we're hoping to do through this podcast. My name's Nish, I'm a GP registrar in Cambridge and co founder of NextGen GP. Over the coming episodes, we're going to be interviewing leaders from different parts of the NHS, and even some from outside of healthcare. Our aim is to really get behind the titles, to the heart of the stories that we have so much to learn from as we set out on our own leadership journeys. Now, before we start, I think most of our listeners will be from the NHS, and I just want to take a moment to say thank you for everything that you're doing at the moment. Now, of course, a lot of our face-to-face next-gen events have been cancelled for now, but hopefully these interviews might give you something else to think about, and maybe even a little bit of inspiration during these strange times. I'm really excited today to be speaking to Samantha Jones. Sam has been a friend and a role model of mine for a few years now, uh, for reasons I think will become clear. So, Sam started out as a nurse in the NHS, and she joined the National Management Training Scheme. And she very quickly rose through the ranks to become chief exec of two hospital trusts. And in 2014, she was actually health services journal chief executive of the year. After that role, she went to NHS England, where she became director of the New Care Models programme. So this was about implementing the 50 Vanguard sites that were outlined in the five year forward view. After that, she went to Oprose Health and they run 17 practices in the UK, as well as some community and mental health services. So Sam has had loads of experience in the NHS and also in the private sector and so she's got plenty to share with us. And the thing I really like about Sam is she's just so open and honest about what it was like doing those roles and especially what it was like doing that whilst bringing up a young family at the same time. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the NextGen GP podcast um, and thank you so much for your encouragement of NextGen uh, over the years. You've been a massive advocate for everything that we're doing and it's been hugely appreciated. Thank you. How's, how's lockdown life treating you? I
1: think um, uh, in comparison to many people, we've been very lucky. Uh, the children are uh, still at school as we're both key workers and that has been great for them in terms of a routine. Um, of course, uh, both with Joe and I, both working in healthcare, um, it's been quite intense. Um, um, but on the whole, I think um, I, I'm not sure that I would be in a position to say it hasn't been. It's been difficult at times, but it's been okay.
0: And how about work? So you're currently chief executive of Opera's Health. How are you finding leading remotely?
1: Uh, I wish I'd done it, in some ways, an awful lot earlier. So there have been so many benefits to working remotely in terms of productivity. In fact, ironically, I think I see my team and people more frequently than I did previously. Um, Operos Health runs uh, primary care and some community services. So the first few weeks were all very, very intense and all about ensuring we support the practices and our staff, um, to move as remote as we possibly could. But on the whole, I've actually really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um, so at the start of this podcast, I summarised a bit about the jobs that you've done in your career so far. So you started off as a nurse, you went into management, chief exec of two trusts, and then you led the Vanguard programme at NHS England, um, and now you work for Opera's Health. But I think it would be quite interesting for people to hear a bit about why you've done the jobs that you've done, and what's driven you, you to kind of pan out your career in the way that it has?
1: I think that um, there is a golden thread to all of the jobs that I've done and they remain, it sounds a bit cheesy, but it remains around um, improving health care and improving health to the population that we serve. So um, whether I was nursing or certainly as a chief executive of um, trusts, which I think was one of the best jobs, I think it's a privilege to lead an organisation in that way. Um, it's all been around uh, delivering high quality care. I'm firmly of the belief that you gain different experiences from different roles. So what I mean by that was um, I advocate anybody working nationally. I think it's um, an experience and it's a brilliant experience that people should have because it enables you to understand what's happening from a national perspective and why decisions are made in way that they're made and the impact it has locally I'd advocate anybody working in the independent sector because, ironically, you learn more around the public sector being outside it than you do inside it. Um, so you take experiences, and I have taken experiences from all of the roles that I've done that have helped me and enriched me on my next, in my next role.
0: And when you um, started to move away from the nursing side of things, did you face criticism for kind of going over to the dark side?
1: I still do I'm still friends with the girls I did my training with um, and once a year we get together where I basically sit in the corner and I'm told every single reason why I made the wrong career choice moving out leaving nursing that and sounds like fun <laughs> this a weekend um, yes and I knew that it was the right thing for me to do
0: And you said you enjoyed working nationally and I agree with you having spent some time at NHS England. It was really good to see how those decisions are made. Let's talk a bit about that. So what did you what did you learn from your time there?
1: I really learned how um, the national system works. So that sounds a little obvious, but it's true. You know, across the arm's length bodies, because the Vanguard programme and the New Models of Care programmes across all of the ALBs um, and seeing the, the different roles that they play, the different leadership styles, and working at, at a senior level, seeing the influence of those decisions and the impact it has locally. It, it was very different, incredibly different, And I think that at times uncomfortable and then seeing the impact of the things that you were discussing was extraordinary. And you could see the translation from the conversation that took place, whether it's at Skipton House or Wellington, wherever it was, and how that had an impact. Understanding that means that you understand how, um, if if you understand the body, you understand how I described it as the arterial motorways. And that's really how working nationally explains all the different interactions, working with the local government association and seeing how, uh, the NHS and local government work in a different way, the different languages that you used. It, it broadens your horizon and it broadens your understanding of, of of key decisions.
0: You said there that it was uncomfortable at times. What was uncomfortable about?
1: Um, the social norms are different. Some of the language is different. Um, it's a different way of doing things. And it was also very, very public role and rightly so and I learned that everybody had a view. I mean many people um, weren't backward in coming forward and telling you all the things that you were doing wrong um, from a national perspective. Some of them actually some of those comments were fair and right and some of it was come and walk in my shoes and let's understand the different roles that that people play. Um, We were very very clear that we were going to be very active on social media because it was around supporting the local systems, and and some of that got criticism from people.
0: How did you find that the the sort of the criticism that you faced in a more public role? How how did you cope?
1: Um, it's probably best you ask my husband, but um, the, uh, you know, it took me some time. It took me some time to um, be okay with it. Um, I don't mind. I, I I don't mind the criticism. I think it was the personal bit that's the interesting angle took me some time and then you just realize that as a very very wise friend of mine said it's not you it's the role and you within the role and you have to separate out the two things but it sounds a little bit like a a first world problem I was leading the privilege of leading a national program actually the criticism and the critique was entirely legitimate in terms of people having a view but it takes you some time to to get your outer shell hard enough not to take it entirely personally at three o'clock in the morning
0: mm, I mean that hard shell is interesting that's something that David Haslam mentioned as well in our last podcast um, and having to separate yourself from the role that you're doing I suppose in a way that we do as as doctors do you think it was any different because you were a senior female leader or did that not make any difference
1: I don't think so I don't think so I never had a sense sense of that Um, I've never had a sense of that interestingly in my career I've had an age thing not anymore but I've had people saying you're too young to do this you're too young to do that and I don't this is we need to be very careful this isn't a sob story it's just one of the things I hadn't expected about in such a public role which is probably my naivety but it wasn't a um, this was awful, and I certainly wouldn't want that to be the what people
0: think. Can we talk about the young thing? Because actually, lots of our next gen community of quite young people that started their career, stepping into leadership roles, maybe quite early. How did you handle that criticism?
1: Um, it's a fact. Um, if you're younger than people it's a fact and it's not one you can hide from I think what's interesting is getting behind maybe why you receive those comments Um, for a very long time I was I was laughing actually I was looking at some photos the other day uh, when I first became a chief executive I think I look older than I do now which is however many 10 or 12 years on Uh, because I wanted to play that role you know I had to look a certain way to dress a certain way I think understanding why people may be making comments is it something that you're doing is it something about how you're portraying yourself or is it about that other person
0: I think that's very sensible advice um can we talk a little bit about the vanguards and what you learned from that because that's as a massive piece of work it's hard to talk about briefly but what did you learn about what helped make these places successful I guess particularly in terms of the leadership you observed
1: Oh, I was so proud of working with the New Models of Care and the vanguards themselves, um, so proud and, and their, the impact that they had framed and formed the basis of a lot of the stuff that we're all doing now. What did I learn? I learned that the, the greatest impact or the base, greatest contribution I could have was just by leaving them alone and our job was to give them that space and enable them to do it because it was around local teams delivering local services and redesigning and working with their local population and their local community they didn't need any interference our jobs were our jobs nationally across the arms and bodies were to move the blocks out of the way for them so you know the greatest probably one-liner is you left us alone and we got on with it so that I think is it was a massive learning such a privilege working with so many different teams Um, across the country Um, interestingly who were all working together you know one place I've talked about before 19 different institutions working together and ironically all facing very similar things and our job was to pull out the themes that they were they were dealing with and tackling with so so you know what what went on in Somerset was similar to Northumbria was similar to um, Birmingham um, so recognising that the themes are the role, the national play and the steer um, and, and giving a space for the local teams.
0: I, I really like that quote. I think that's the job of any good leader, isn't it? Just get good people together and then leave exactly. them alone and let them get on with it. That's what we try and do with NextGen. Was there a particular kind of leadership style or trait that you noticed in the people that you thought that's that's what makes a good leader in these situations?
1: Um, I mean I think that optimism definitely I think is um, was definitely you know we can do this we can do whatever this is definitely resilience I mean we talk a lot about resilience but you know the perseverance to keep going we talked about the IG and keep going and keep going definitely a sense of humor Um, definitely you have to be able to say we didn't get this right and you know we had a a, a lot of support um, from Don Berwick and he his point about fail fast was true. Yeah, fail fast yeah. and learn quickly. Um, all of them shared the same trait, which was just get on with it, really, and just believe that you can do it.
0: Mm, I really like that, especially the the traits of perseverance and Don Berwick's there, fail fast, learn quickly. So thinking about failure maybe in learning, can I ask you a little bit about the imposter syndrome? And I probably won't ask you, have you had it? Because something I've learned from next gen interviews is that uh, everybody seems to have. And um, in fact, one chief exec of a hospital said to me that if you ask that question and a leader says no, they're probably either not being quite truthful or maybe have some slight psychopathic tendencies. So I won't ask, have you had it? But maybe, when have you had it the most and how do you deal with it?
1: When have I had it the most? So in, in any new situation, so I remember, um, you know, the first day of being a chief executive um, and looking behind me when people were speaking to me thinking, I, I, I don't really know if that's, is that me you're asking me as the chief executive? Um, so, you know, sort of key key points I can pull out. I think the first day I started working nationally definitely had definitely had um, a, a big healthy dose of that Um, and I suppose in in every day in every day now there are moments when I'm tackling something new and it's usually when it's something new that I haven't got um something to pull back to refer back to that I have that that is a look I recognize in in our daughter of um can I can I can I I do this can I do this and I still feel that if I'm doing something uh new and what
0: what helps in that moment?
1: To go tonight, Matthew. I'm going to be sensible, put together, confident, and just get on with it.
0: Yeah, I often have that stars in their eyes moment um before doing something that makes me scared.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I have I have some very, very strong people I go and talk to in those moments who usually slap me metaphorically and tell me to get a grip and also who uh you know do little things as as friends would do or um send you a certain song to get on and just kind of get past it.
0: Have you had mentoring or coaching that's helped with with this before?
1: Um so so I'm a big advocate of coaching I've I've had a coach for most of my career um, which is different of course to mentoring we don't specifically talk about imposter you know imposter syndrome as such but our coaching it makes a big difference for me in terms of my leadership career um who would waste an opportunity to go and talk about yourself for an hour um, <laughs> so that is really the coaching is incredibly helpful
0: yeah i completely agree do you mentor people yourself
1: I do, I do, I do. Um, I was very, very lucky in my career that I've always had people who have given me time and support to go and drivel at them. So I have consciously and hold very dear the fact I create time for people um, to, if they want to, um, uh, come and talk to me.
0: And have you found um, that it's more women that want to come and speak to you or or have mentoring? Um, Maybe because there aren't that many senior female role models.
1: Pretty interesting because the NHS actually um, has perhaps not at certain levels but there are a lot of women in leadership positions so I'm just thinking about your question I'd say actually the balance yes is more for the people that that I mentor or it, it is actually probably I've never thought about it 90 percent women not consciously actually but yes that's true
0: do you think that they face any Specific barriers, or do you think we kind of overegg the whole glass ceiling that female leaders face?
1: Do I think we over- overegg it? No, I don't think we overegg it. Um, I think it is what it is. I think if we spend too much time talking about it and believing it, then it does become true. I, I have always and still do believe that I can be just the same, and I am just the same as my male colleagues. It's never been a question in my mind. Um, I have brothers, so that may make an impact, and my parents never made any difference. I think our job is to understand that people need space and time to grow, in whichever way that is.
0: Mm. And have you had good female role models yourself?
1: I'm very, very lucky with with my mum, a very strong role model. Um, Before she died, there are people like Dame Ruth Carnell who um, appointed me to my first chief executive post, there are people like Claire Panica from Essex, uh, Rebecca Myers that I look at and go, very interesting, really interesting. Would I see them as role models? I think um, I take elements from all of them. I see them as the army, really, the people I can go to. That's the That's the overriding thing that makes somebody a role model for me, despite everything else, despite all the pressures that everybody has on their day to day that people make time
0: and you do that absolutely actually you're you're amazing at making time for people let's talk about that for a bit so you've got twins who've just turned 11 your husband uh, Jay Harrison is chief exec of Milton Keynes yeah you seem to be able to make time for so much and I'd love to just chat a bit about work life I don't know what you want to call it balance blend spaghetti whatever people say but a bit about that how do you juggle everything
1: Oh I mean I could really say, you know, seamlessly. Um, <laughs> it's it's obvious. <laughs> no plates ever drop. Um, uh, There's never any tension about who's doing what.
0: What's the secret then? (laughs) It's,
1: it's, you know, and everything smells of roses. Um, So um, like everybody else, it's a constant juggle. It's a total and utter constant juggle. Um, Joe and I are a partnership. We're very lucky in that regard. Uh, It's definitely not uh, gold, kind of a rainbow uh, scenario, but we work really hard. Our children are the most important things to us. I know that sounds obvious, but it's true. Other things that get compromised, so we don't have a social life um, We're the most antisocial people going because that, that slips. Um, I'm very lucky that I, app and, uh, uh, Joe, but, um from my perspective, absolutely love my job. I absolutely love healthcare. I, I thrive on reading stuff and uh, learning about stuff and that might be late at night about healthcare. It, it's usually interspersed with some kind of showbiz nonsense as well, but it's, it's a balance. And I think as the booklet that we want, um, we're very lucky to get people to contribute to. We're very lucky that we, um, obviously prior to a lockdown, are lucky that we can outsource as much as possible, whether it's you know the shopping, whether it's the ironing, all of those things. We're very lucky to be in a position to be able to do that. And at the end of the day, you know, it is not unheard of for children to turn up for a party on the wrong day. Uh, Google Calendar is an amazing invention, but only if you put things in on the right day. (laughs) And they they will tell you that, they they talk about it. We're not doing it any better than anybody else. Okay.
0: I think I love what you said there about you love your job. So I guess it doesn't always feel like work. It's Mm -hmm. not that work is separate from life, they are intertwined. But does that mean sometimes it's tempting to I don't know, sit there and keep reading policy booklets and stuff when actually, how how do you make sure you have protected time with the kids and you're focused on them in the moment?
1: Um, Well, I don't think we're doing very well with that at the moment. Um, So um, both of us um, have conference calls in the evenings and um, so actually that's been one of the downsides to lockdown for both of us, well, for them. They're pretty good at telling us definitely. Um, They are slightly militant. Uh, It's interesting, it's a generational thing. And we just uh, try and apply the rules of, you know, there's a dedicated time in the evening when nothing else happens normally. Nothing else happens when we're just together, usually watching television or doing something, but no phones, no screens, etc. I don't think we do well enough. It's something that is a constant. You just have to keep trying with it.
0: And with I, don't, I hope you don't mind me asking about this, but with you and Joe both in really quite high-powered positions, do you find that hard? Um,
1: it's an interesting question. So we will we will compromise on doing, and we've got better at this, but doing evening things. I remember Sarah J Marsh absolutely rightly saying you can be out every single night um, at some dinner or networking thing. So we definitely don't do that pre, pre-lockdown as much. I think that you know we try and do pick up and drop off, and, and obviously not every day. I thought we we think we do it quite well. And then one of the one of the twins said, you know, but you've never been to one of our sports matches. Like, oh, <laughs> it's and, always something. <laughs> oh. and it's true we haven't because that's the compromise we need to make. I think we we. We try and put as many boundaries around it as possible, but there are some things like not going to sports matches that mean that we do, and they understand it, and we talk a bit about it. But it does mean that you know those things go by the wayside.
0: I think what's really good that I've observed is you're very open about um, making time for them I, on social media. But even I remember to me you've said, "Oh no, look to my diary. I can't do that. I've blocked out this day for sports day." I don't know if that many people do that and um, Joe probably does it as well he's very open with his team about where he is he's with his family he's leaving at three o'clock because he's with them
1: yeah I think um well I think I, I think we have a responsibility if we have a leadership position to actually talk about it and also and also you know for those for those couple of hours that we may be at sports day or the leave that we've taken you work in the evening so you know nobody clock watches but we we firmly believe that family first you know is a healthy balance for people that that doesn't mean that we don't work 20 hours a day like everybody else but it does mean for that period of time if we're you know in the evening I try and um, you know we try and have our, our hour or whatever it is usually not at the same time um but and you know if a member of my team ring, they know they can always ring me for something if it's urgent I say can I call you back So rather than interfere with that time, and I think it's important that we do that. And I think Mm. you
0: know
1: it's okay to say you need to go to sports
0: day. I love that. Thank you for being so open about how you manage, how you manage the twins and Joe and everything else, and the dogs. (laughs) Not for gaming. So we'll just move on to the last bit, if that's okay, Sam. Um, The three questions that we're going to ask everyone, hopefully, that comes on the podcast. So the first is, um, can you recommend a leadership book that you found really helpful?
1: Unquestionably team of teams. Stanley McChrystal, General General McChrystal, um, informed and changed my thinking on every single level.
0: I agree. Fantastic. He's written a new one as well, I think. The second question is, sorry, you have done this quite a lot, so maybe I'll change it slightly, but a particular leader that you admire or have admired and why, or maybe some advice they've given you that's been particularly helpful?
1: So I've talked about a number of them. I can think of a couple of others. So um, Heather Rabatt, um, who's now, I think she's still at the FA. Imagine being somebody like that and the level of energy and the barriers that she's breaking down and has, has done throughout her career. Um, within the NHS, Caroline Clark, Chief Executive of the Royal Free. She's outstanding.
0: And Heather, I think, has done a really good Desert Island Disc, actually, so we can link to that underneath. Generally, all the people you mentioned so far, I think, are people that are just very real. They're very much themselves in the roles that they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the last bit is your top three pieces of advice for new leaders.
1: Um, trust your instinct. And Definitely trust your instinct. it will be right. Um, make time for yourself. Still learning how to do that one. But make time for yourself. And us um, <laughs> smiling, uh, we played the uh, sunscreen song for the children the other day. So I think that'll be my third piece of advice. Um, listen to that because that just shows I'm now middle aged, but um, <laughs> uh, there's some very good advice in that as well.
0: Okay, fantastic. We'll put a link to that at the end of the podcast as well as everything else you've mentioned. Um, so, Sam, thank you so much for that. And that whole conversation was just everything I wanted it to be, which is a reflection of you actually because you're just very real as a leader and I love that about you and you've taught me over the years that you can just be yourself and the stuff backstage is not always entirely together and that's okay and you know what that was a bit of a revelation to me it shows you maybe that you don't see that much of that so So thank you very much Sam
1: thank you for the opportunity of talking with us as ever is lovely
0: thank you very much for listening I really hope that you got as much from that conversation as I know I did. It'd be really great to hear what you thought of it um, and maybe any suggestions for who else we should be speaking to. You can email us at nextgenerationgp at gmail.com or tweet us at nextggp. And if you want to keep in the loop about future events and webinars and leadership resources, you can join over 2,000 people who have subscribed to our monthly bulletin by going to bit.ly forward slash NGGP bulletin. Hope you can join us for the next episode.